0: And of course, I'm going to share what I learned about you last night. That's why I was checking your brains trying to find it all out. How are y'all? Having a good time so far? That's good. Um, I've come no small distance at no small expense to upset some of you and to, to help others. <laughs> I've never seen anybody get that excited about the traditions before.
1: <laughs>
0: Tradition nine. <laughs> I- that's so bad of me. I'm so, uh, you know, should never build yourself up at anybody else's expense, but you're so darn cute. It doesn't matter anyway. And they love you out there, so I couldn't go wrong. Well, uh, it's wonderful to be here. And, um, this is my very first time in Cincinnati. Never been here before. And, uh, that thrills me to death because I've heard of your city always I and mean, baseball, of course. And, uh, yeah, don't bring that up. I know. Well, uh, uh, good, good start, Marty. Uh, WKRP. You remember that? Of course, when I was watching that, it was KRP. I was a radio announcer years ago, so that, that show was so real, it was scary. And, uh, anyway, it, it's just good to, it's just good to be among you Americans. I don't know if you have any idea how grateful we are as Canadians to have wonderful neighbors like you guys are. I don't think you could understand it, because we love you, and, uh, I hope you feel the same about us, uh, from the frozen north. <laughs> Anyway, enough of that. My name is Marty and I am an alcoholic. Uh, I am, uh, sometimes at a loss for words. How many uh, brand new people are in the room? Don't put your hand up. Thank you. Uh, it's anonymous here. You don't have to put your hand up if you don't want. But if you're already fighting with me, you, you belong here. You know. We have that, we have that pushback reflex thing that goes on when you're new. You know, look hey, at what, what this guy. know? he can't even grow hair. Nevertheless, what what I will do tonight, and I've, I've been sober since uh, February the 8th of 1976, and for that I am eternally amazed and grateful. I got here at 23 years of age with uh, just a whole basket full of trouble and a mind full of excuses, and uh, if you're like me, you don't want to be in this room tonight, and everything that I will say tonight will, will probably be something you're going to try and forget. And uh, if you're like me, the part that you really want to forget, you can't forget. And so remember two things. If you're new in this room or if you've been in this room uh, many, many times, this conference, of course, will not be about the speakers. As wonderful as a lineup as you have with uh, Peggy and Lou and I mean all of the wonderful speakers you have here tonight, this conference will never be about the speakers. They're only about an hour every once in a while. What a conference is really about is your ability to connect and interconnect with other people. And sometimes you'll see some people stuck on a wall, and they're new here. They don't know anybody. And as you are in your little clique having a good time, what you look like to them is somebody who is talking about them. (laughs) You know, And you're different, and you're apart from, and you're alone, and you're scared. And so, you know, if you're alone in this room, go find the other loneliest person that there is at the convention and make them feel welcome you'll gain a friend for life. And that's just about the best advice any Friday night speaker could give anyone. Now, uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, My friend Bob, who's in the treatment biz, says that what I actually have is a biochemical disorder centering in the hypothalamic information control center of my brain, (laughs) which is made worse by the fact that my liver cannot metabolize alcohol without producing acid aldehyde mixed with dopamine, which of course produces tetrahydroxyquinolone, And that's real nasty when you've got a narcissistic, egocentric core driven at times by feelings of omnipotence that tend toward their own, (laughs) that tend toward their own integrity, even at the expense of, uh, stimulus augmentation and almost irrevocable, uh, cognitive dissonance. (laughs) I'm a drunk. (laughs) Got that crap going on in your head, you're at the wrong meeting. You know if you took that thing apart i have every piece of that i mean i find when i drink i can't stop drinking it's not that i i could have a little i can't have a little i tried it thousands of times and what it says in the book is is that once you become like i am and it says somebody like me may or may not start out as a heavy drinker we might be a moderate drinker and then after a period of time you can't control the amount of alcohol you drink once you start to drink it so the whole secret is don't drink and I don't care if they've got a new pill and you shave your head and exercise. It's not going to help you. Don't drink. I have a little problem with that because at certain times, I am incapable of bringing into my mind with sufficient force the suffering and humiliation caused by drinking. I can't remember. I can't remember. And so, almost amazing to me, I will take a drink. And then when I start to drink, I can't control the amount I drink. That's how that cycle went over and over. This memory thing's a real problem with alcoholics. I don't know. We had some friends over for dinner the other night, and I said to the to the husband, you know, you get into Calgary, which is a town in the province I live in. You get into Calgary a lot. Are there any good restaurants there that you guys kind of like? And he said, restaurants. Oh, man, my memory is so bad. What the heck? What is that flower, you know, with the prickly stem and the red flowers? Uh, I said, a rose? He said, yeah, a rose. Rose, have we been to any good restaurants lately?
1: <laughs>
0: some of you are going to be difficult to get to come along tonight. I can see that. I had my first drink in a bathroom. Um, I had my first drink, and I've been waiting for my first drink for quite some time. Um, I know some of you started at age six months but i hung on until i was 11 years old because i i didn't know where i could get any up until i was 11 years old and i was i was alcoholic as hell at 11 years old before i ever took a drink now there is this sort of discussion that surfaces every once in a while in alcoholics anonymous are you are you born alcoholic you cross an invisible line if there was an invisible line i raced across that sucker i didn't see that baby at all I didn't progress into the disease of alcoholism, although my alcoholism progressed. And I'll talk a little bit about that tonight as well. But basically what happened was, at age nine, I had all of this stuff going that you guys talked about. When I got here, you were talking about being different. You were talking about being incapable of forming a meaningful relationship with another human being. see... This is stuff I didn't want to talk about because this was way down deep inside for a long time. I never could connect with another human being. Christmas was a mystery to me. Loving and hugging and rubbing up against. <laughs> I didn't get it. Sex was competitive.
1: <laughs>
0: fairly, fairly normal male, right? Anyway, uh, let it go, guys. Just a joke.
1: <laughs>
0: My, um, My life as a young boy, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, was completely unmanageable. Let me tell you what I mean by unmanageable. I could never complete anything. I was a dreamer and a schemer, but I couldn't complete anything. And everything I wanted to do, I could never do. And the things that I didn't want to do, I did with great frequency. And that's what unmanageability means. So when it said in the step, you know, you're you're unmanageable, I thought, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the concept of powerless over alcohol is what I've been looking for all of my life. See, I don't get in a lot of mental anguish drunk. I get in trouble when I sober up. It's (laughs) the dry spots that are bumpy for me. And so I drank and got this great relief. So let me tell you about the first time I drank, and I'll tell you about the last time I drank, and that's really all that matters. The first time it was Loganberry wine. That's not too significant, except to say when you're eleven years old and something goes down deep purple and comes up pink, it's cool you know
1: <laughs>
0: i was I was to learn a whole bunch more about vomiting like you 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 never you never get to like it, but you can do it you'll
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and uh. That first night, I drank this Loganberry wine. I had an amazing thing happen. I've heard thousands of people at podiums all over North America and Europe and everywhere I've been privileged to go and share, say the same thing, that they went through a transformation. You're in this room tonight, and you're uh, El Anon, El Atot, El whatever you are, you will not know what that means. Because maybe you drank, and maybe you got sleepy, and maybe some stuff happened to you, but you don't go through the transformation like alcoholics go through a transformation. And the best way to describe that is, is that it is possible to become how you think other people see you. (laughs) (laughs) If that made sense to you, you are (laughs) alcoholic. When I drank, the first time I drank at 11 years old in this bathroom, for years I'd had a, I was the youngest of four children. I had a brother named Michael. And Michael tortured me. Now, I know this only happened in our family, and it's probably going to be the saddest story you guys have ever heard. but he used to torture me and make fun of the way I looked and the way I everything. He just you were stupid every day you got up and I know that God has both a sense of humor and a sense of justice because uh about fourteen years ago, Michael knocked on my door and uh he had a brown paper bag with everything he had in the whole world inside that bag, and he said, "Would you sponsor me an alcoholic that. <laughs> I said, sure, come on in, you son of a bitch. I'd be happy to uh share the knowledge, faith, and hope I've gained in this wonderful fellowship.
1: <laughs>
0: Isn't it ironic? This guy that he had demolished as a child, this person that he beat on every single day, became the only person in the world <laughs> he felt any safety with. Yes. You know, this is the paradox of Alcoholics Anonymous. You you win by surrender. Right? Yeah. If we give you a job in Alcoholics Anonymous, as soon as you know what you're doing, we rotate you out of it. This it. <laughs> we tell you that there are no dues or fees and then we pass the hat around to collect money. Like It's Anyway, Michael had tormented me and one of the thoughts that went through my mind early in this drinking episode was I could actually punch him out. And I started to focus on that thought. And I don't know about you when you're drinking. If you start to focus on the thought, it's not long before it's in action. If we could focus half that well on the steps, we'd all be Bill Wilson, you know. I got on my bicycle, and I mean, I was really drunk, and I'd been drinking with a young guy named Guy. Guy and I'd been friends all of our young lives, and Guy spit his wine into the toilet. He didn't swallow it. And I don't ever remember playing with Guy again.
1: <laughs> oh, Yeah.
0: Sometimes you have to drink a while before you become a lower companion. I started out a lower companion. I got on my bicycle, and I, I I knew suddenly that I was the fastest bicycle rider, probably on the planet, certainly in this galaxy. And I just wound that baby up and rode right into the back of a parked truck. And I did a skin donation, and as I was... Turning across this pavement, I'm thinking to myself, this does not even hurt. (laughs) You hear a lot of talk about alcoholic cunning and genius only in these rooms. But you hear a lot of talk about that. The alcoholic mind is incredible. It is devised to kill the owner. (laughs) And so as I'm bouncing along the pavement, reassuring myself that if I could take a beating like this on pavement, the beating that I'm going to lay on Michael gonna be considerable. I want you to know that for the next probably five to six years, all of my drinking was focused at beating up Michael. Alcoholics can resent like nothing else on earth. And we can really learn how to hate and hang on to it. It almost feels good. You know, if you can get a big enough resentment it can completely demobilize you for the rest of your life. You don't have to do anything but just get juiced and think about how much you hate that person. And sometimes I don't even want to get rid of them. They feel good. You know, killing people and then re-killing them and then killing them some more. I like that. I got home. My mother had never, ever seen active alcoholism around her other than my Uncle Sam. (laughs) Uncle Sam used to get drunk and one eye used to close. And he'd get kind of drunk, one lip hanging there, And he'd talk about being in the Navy and then I found out he wasn't in the Navy he was in the Army (laughs) you see this is something else you need to know if you're new alcoholics lie when the truth is even interesting we just lie anyway we just lie I don't know why we lie I'm in Safeway when I'm two years sober somebody sees me later in the afternoon they say hey I saw you in Safeway I said no you didn't I wasn't in Safeway what is that about? I didn't want anybody to know where I was or what I was doing and I guess Sammy was still covering the horrible truth but well, he'd get that eye like that. And I thought, boy, you know, the one thing I want to do when I drink is never look like Uncle Sam. Ever. I mean, we was got important to try and look sophisticated. I was a lounge lizard.
1: <laughs>
0: what does he know? He doesn't even know where he is now. Right. <laughs> anyway, my wife says to me, when I'm about three years sober, the thing I hated most about you when you drank is when that one eye would close and your lips would go down like that. You know?
1: <laughs>
0: That's the problem with Eleanor. They're awake while you're doing all this crap. They, they remember everything, can't they think? Disaster. Get home, my mother throws me. First of all, my mother says, what happened? And I lie. I tell her, I, I two drinks. I drank the whole bottle of wine first time out. Eleven years old, you can imagine how drunk I was puts me in the bathtub, I barf, I get that like Green Whip, Logan Berry wine deal going on there, and I, I don't think I've ever been so happy <laughs> ever in my life and I go to school in the morning and I, and I tell the story, like many of you told the story to the people, you were trying to impress about. I got drunk, I fell down, I got beat up I went off my bike, my old man kicked my butt you gotta try this stuff
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they didn't wanna try this stuff so I changed companions, and I and I started searching out kids that were doing what I wanted to be doing, and so it goes. And and that that's basically how my drinking was. Each and every time I drank, I drank for the same reason. Dr. Silkworth described it as that elusive uh, feeling of relief we get from those early drinks. I drank every time for that same thing. I drank for the feeling of 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 worth that it gave me. And, and I always, you know, I, every once in a while you get somebody that's just oh my God, you're an alcoholic. That must be terrible. And they feel sorry for you. I feel sorry that they never ever felt like that, you know. I can't do it anymore. Now, you knew you people might be saying, hey, but that's that good, why don't you go drink some Loganberry wine and get back there? The problem is that alcohol for me was like a good card player. Every time I needed to win a hand, I couldn't. It just would let me win every hand. that did not matter. And so at, toward the end of my drinking, I could no longer predict when I was going to go loony or when I was going to have a good time. I could not consciously bring into my mind the suffering and the humiliation and that thing was to repeat itself in the next 11 years. I want to fast forward through my life because I mean there's just a whole bunch of monotony there. I want to tell you that that, that I, I make a lot of fun about drinking. I believe that, that Bill was right that, that when you get into Alcoholics Anonymous sometimes we laugh all in the wrong place. That you know, sometimes if you're just visiting us and you, you say, you know, they're a lot sicker than I even thought they were before I, I got them in I remember my first meeting, a guy talking about peeing himself. And I was thinking, that's really funny. I did it Thursday night, you jerk. I mean, like, talk about everything embarrassing, We you know. Just underneath, Bill says, is deadly, seriously. Let me tell you how deadly this disease is. Not so long ago, a year and a half ago, I had a, a woman friend who'd been trying to get sober. I buried her father with this disease. Her name was Lynn. And Lynn uh, was constitutionally incapable of being honest with herself. She just could not ever dream of herself as being an alcoholic. She just needed to get to be that other person all the time. And her husband came home one afternoon and Lynn was at the sink and uh, her legs were very swollen. And when he went up to her, she had vomited all of her blood into the sink. And Lynn at uh, 40 years old was dead. And I've got Lynn's son living with me today. Because what happened was it not only devastated the husband, but it devastated the son, and all the undone stuff, and all the stuff that was said, and all the episodes of drunkenness in front of him, and all the damage that's been done, for some reason, in God's wisdom, this kid phoned up and said, could could I come and live with you? And so each and every day that I go over to deliver one of these talks, he says, give him hell, Mr. J. And he's a, he's a he's a really fine young man, but he's very, very confused, and he's terrified of alcohol and anything to do with alcohol. And that's where this disease is at. 28 years old Vince Clark phones me up and says, I'm going out one more time. I said, This there's no such thing as one more time. You have no idea what you're unleashing. He said, it doesn't matter. I don't want to talk to you about it. I just want to tell you. That's what I'm doing. Vince that night rolled over on his back, vomited and drowned in his own bark. 28 years old. We buried Vince. I could go on. I have many of those stories. Sobriety is an elusive thing. You are indeed a rare and unique people that are gathered in this room. We are the lucky ones. And sometimes we just have to insist on having fun because if we didn't, it would get so damn serious. I don't think I could stay here. And I had sponsors, thank God, that insisted on having fun. Well, let me fast forward to 1976, February the 7th. I'm drunk. I can't explain it. I'm drunk. And not only was I drunk, I had done a number of things that were coming in and out of my mind, just bits and pieces. This is called blackout. For those of you who are having blackouts that are visiting us, understand that it is not a normal state. People that blackout are alcoholics, one of the symptoms. I was coming in and out of this blackout, and I remembered that I had shoved a pizza into the face of my company president.
1: I remembered
0: that I had smashed my car into another car and I got out to beat the guy up for hitting my car only to recognize that the car was parked. (laughs) I hit and run. I had a vision of me and one of the company girls in a car. I remember her boyfriend being very angry and I couldn't remember any more of that. So that was potentially fatal. I remember being in the car and my wife saying, I wish you would stay out there. This was February, Canada. <laughs> Cold. As I came to on February the 8th, what was going through my mind is how on earth could it have happened. I just made this big deal with God that it wasn't going to happen. You see, I mentioned a little earlier a thing called alcoholic cunning and genius. You see, my mind turned against me because I I had gotten out of all of the trouble from the two days before, and I was sitting, I was in the radio television business at that time, I'm not anymore, but I was then, and I was sitting in the uh, record library, and it was just about five o'clock, and I was thinking to myself, I need a beer. And then I remembered, you made a pledge to God. And then I thought, did I say to God, I'll never drink again, or did I say I would never drink again to accept? I needed some collateral information because I'm an alcoholic. So I started thinking, God, Jesus, Jesus' first miracle, went to Cana, turned water into wine. Jesus wants us to drink. Just under control. Drink better beer. Better scotches. Jesus wants you to be a classy drinker. That's all there is to this. And I go to the, they call them beer parlors in Canada. And I go to this place and I have a, a drink and the next thing I know, my friend is sitting there and his eyebrows are real high up on, in, on his head and I look around well, at what's happening. He says, but you hit me. I couldn't remember hitting it. I'm only in the early one or two beers. And then I I started to drink compulsively, and then the phone is ringing. So now it's February the 8th, it's my sister on the telephone. She made the call. You know, she asked the right question. First of all, the stupid one, which was, How are you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fine. <laughs>
0: she said, uh, And uh, this just about knocked me be down, because if you're an alcoholic like I'm an alcoholic, the last thing you know you are is alcoholic. That's the big thing about the deceit. I mean, you, you could have leprosy would be better than alcoholism because alcoholism is what allows you to function, for God's sake. Everything else is impossible, but that drinking period makes it possible to function. And so after she asked that question, she asked the real killer question. Would you be a man from Alcoholics Anonymous? And I swear to God, I thought to myself, I haven't got enough trouble now i got to help some guy from Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, will the burdens of leadership never end? Oh, I said, all right. Anyway, they send this guy over. And he, <laughs> God sends you what you need, not what you want. I would have liked something slick. You know, something in a nice suit. You know, perhaps something that didn't have a brush cut perhaps something under six foot five, 240 pounds, that did not drive a docking vehicle called an LTD Ford. I mean, this guy pulled up and I thought, oh my God, the neighbors are going to know we from Alcoholics Anonymous. He just kind of exuded Alcoholics Anonymous out of everything. And of course, he's a comedian and says to me, I hear you drink even when you're not thirsty. Oh, funny, ain't he? <laughs> It was so big that I thought well, this can only go on a period of time we're going to go, I'll do what I can we go to a restaurant and we drink coffee now maybe some of you have been around so long you've forgotten how weird it is the way we drink coffee I had never seen anything like my life I figured he must have posing down under the table or something you know <laughs> Talking about unrelated subjects, constantly. Just changing the subject. I thought this guy is like, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, maybe you saw the movie. This is a big cuckoo. (laughs) He tells me some stories. And if you're getting on a 12-step call, and you're reading the book, it says, if your man's in a humorous mood, tell him a few humorous episodes. And so Dwayne did. And of course, I'm a drunk. I can't have you telling me something better than what I did, so every time he'd tell one, I would tell one better. He'd tell one... So, I mean, I got my step five done almost right away.
1: <laughs>
0: when we finished uh this little interview, and I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop, I kept waiting for him to say, you know, you got to smarten up. Your sister says, your mother says, your... You know, I kept waiting. And... Uh, it seemed to me like this man was not on any time that applied to the planet Earth at all. We were going to stay there probably until we died. He didn't seem to be in a hurry at all. And I'm going, like it's midnight. He picked me up at 7 o'clock. And finally he drops it. He says, well, I don't know if you're alcoholic or not because I can't ever say that. But I'll tell you what I do think Is that it seems to me everything you've told me about getting in trouble always occurs when you drink. And as I stand here, God is my witness. That thought had never occurred to me. I had never connected the drinking to those humiliating experiences. I connected the drinking to the relief, the joyous intimacy. The six o'clock in the morning and somebody kissed it. Their shirts ripped off. All you got left on is your tie, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: and you're intimate. <laughs> If my wife understood me like this, I wouldn't be having a marriage problem. You know, (laughs) intimate. That's what I connected it to. So he kind of stopped me cold. I I really hadn't thought about that. Anyway, make a long story even longer. He takes me home. As I'm getting out of the car, he says, "Oh, by the way, I'll pick you up for a meeting in the morning. What time's the meeting, Wayne? Nine o'clock." I leave the house at 8. He's waiting for me. Oh yeah. Guy had a spy living in my head. You should be so lucky to have one of these people show up in your life. We went to the meeting. It was ridiculous. There was a bunch of bedwetters there because nobody could drink coffee like these people drank coffee and not bedwet, you know. They were going up and down things called stairs or steps. I could not figure it out when I was first listening, but they were all really excited about them. And one of them had been stuck on the fifth stair for quite a while. And one of the really wrinkly old buggers, and they are all at least a 100, every single one of them in the room, 100, 105, I figure, somewhere around there. I thought, why not quit drinking? You're all going to die anyway. the hell would you do drinking? Sleep? You know? This one guy says to this guy that's stuck on the fifth stair, if you don't get off of that, you're going to get drunk. Well, all right. Let's go right to the fifth stair. No. I suspect that some of you came here wanting to stop drinking. I did not. I don't know that that had anything to do with anything. I had no honest desire to do anything except get away from (laughs) Dwayne. They go on and on and on. It's incredible. This meeting goes on and on. And they're really enjoying themselves and drinking coffee. And then suddenly, without any sort of warning, the guy says, if you want what we have, and you're willing to go to any lengths to get it. (laughs) I'm looking around me. (laughs) They're 105 years old. (laughs) They can't drink for the rest of their lives, right? I really want this. So then there's the choices. Either you can go insane, you can die, or you can come to the meeting. So I'm thinking... I'll take death. Because I never want to look like you guys. I don't ever want to have anybody tell me I can't drink for the rest of my life. And I don't ever want to see any of these people again. I hated that meeting. I hated those people. I hated Dwayne. We got him to the parking lot. He said, what did you think? And I said, I absolutely loved it. That was great. Because I'm an alcoholic an alcoholic is an actor who knows he does not deserve a certain reputation but he'd like people to believe it and so i said to him that was one of the most interesting things i have ever been to. truly no wonder alcoholics anonymous is so wonderful and if you guys ever need a donation or uh this is a guy that has no food in the house you need a donation, or if I could give you some radio time or something, you just go ahead and call me. I'd be happy to help. And he said, Hey, that's wonderful. I'll be calling you. Don't you worry about that. And that night he came and picked me up for another meeting. You see, and then I'm thinking I should have been a little more firm, but I'll tell him tonight. And we go to this other meeting and this it's a bunch of the old guys from the first meeting and a couple of women. Hooker. Well, I figure they're at Alcoholics Anonymous, they gotta be hooked. Why else would they be here and uh I'd already had a lot of trouble with the word. when I probably what got me drinking by the way is is the fact that in grade six, they passed around a form, and they said, "What religion are you?" and I couldn't remember if we were Catholics or prostitutes
1: <laughs> so <laughs>
0: that's a true story. I got kicked out of the class I was humiliated. I'm not sure it wasn't the same day I started drinking. I blame that. They go around the same way they did at the first meeting. They're going up and down the stairs again. I've clearly identified that these are steps, not stairs. And there's only 12 of them, which I figured I could probably do in one or two days, given, you know, some attention. If I have to get the baboon off of me, I'll do it. And they said, does the newcomer have anything he'd like to say? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. And I looked at these two girls and I said, are you guys hooked? I figured I'd get thrown out of Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't know how completely inconsiderate and intolerant you all are. And this little Ruthie looked at me and he said, You know, I'm not a hooker, but every once in a while I'd get really drunk and I'd pick up an anemic little part like you and take you home.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: Thank you for sharing,
1: <laughs> Man, I
0: come out of that meeting, I wasn't even on the ground. I couldn't wait to get in the car to unload on this guy, and he was just... Oh, man. I had a whole new trunk of resentment. I couldn't even remember who Michael was. By the end of the night, I just wanted to kill Dwayne. I said to him, listen to me. I said, look, I, you don't understand. I don't want to go to these meetings anymore.
1: And
0: he said, what has that got to do with anything? I said, I'm a human being. I have rights. No, you don't. I said, Dwayne, I don't want to go to any more meetings. He said, you have no choice. You're an alcoholic. You can't make decisions. You have no mind left. He said, I'll tell you what. Here, I'll make a deal with you. He said, we've got AA everywhere. Did you, they don't talk about it at the meetings, but they're, they're called AA police. They're everywhere. We know every move you make every day all the time. We were watching you before you ever got here. Okay? So I'll make you a deal. He said, I'll give you stay sober 90 continuous days and you go to 90 meetings at least. And at the end of that, you can have all your misery back and you can go and die. I will not bother you anymore. And I thought, well, I can stay sober anytime I want. See, that's one of the big lies, isn't it? See, it's, it's not that I can't stay sober. I can't stay quit. I mean, I always had periods of sobriety in between the bouts, didn't you? You know, some people talk about drinking madly around the clock day and night, day and night, day and night. I mean, sometimes, somehow, some way, everybody sobers up. I was called a binge drinker. And when I drank, it was excessive. And when I didn't drink, I was spiritual.
1: <laughs>
0: Dwayne said to me, I'll tell you what, I'll make you another deal. He said, if you ever really have to drink during the 90 days, you go ahead and phone me up and I'll bring you your first beer. I said, are you kidding? He said, yeah. And then I'm going to bust every bone in your body.
1: <laughs> I said, Dwayne,
0: why do you people talk like this? Why are you all so rude? And he said, because I know if you drink, somebody's gonna beat you up, and I'd just like it to be me, not a stranger. You know, just, I would only hurt you so bad, and you'd get out of it alive, and you know? I mean, he drops me off. I tell my wife, we are in all the trouble there is. They know where we live. Why didn't I go to his house? What the hell could I have been thinking of? Well, I, like you, went to a bunch of meetings. I, like you, listen for every reason I didn't fit. In my mind, it's like a screen door. And I only let in these things that I want to hear. And I based the locking of that door on what I conceived to be the truth. I really believed it to be the truth. I wasn't an alcoholic. I hadn't, well I had been in jail, but not the kind of jails they'd been in. I wasn't divorced yet. I mean, Yes, I'd had some run ins, but not like you guys had run ins. I mean, yes, I had blackouts, but not like you guys described. And yes, I drank to excess, but not day and night like you guys said you did. And I listened, and the truth that I believed was that I was not alcoholic. And I would only let information in that would substantiate that belief. That'll kill you. That'll kill you. And the part that's so hard in these early days of Alcoholics Anonymous is to get in behind that screen door. Just to get in behind that door for a couple of minutes to say, hey, you're like me. And that's why we bring you to these meetings, because sooner or later somebody will stand at a podium somewhere and they will tell what it is that happened to you. Maybe tonight's not your night. Maybe I'm not your big speaker. That's no problem. But it will happen if you keep coming to meetings. The other thing that will happen if you keep coming to meetings is you'll find out what happens when you don't keep coming to meetings. Somebody will go out and get their capillaries adjusted, (laughs) get drunk and come back. And when they come back, they've got two shoes. And then they go back out and they come back and they've got one shoe. Then they don't have shoes. And then after a while, I don't know who they are. And it's like all of a sudden you go, uh-oh, I am alcoholic. Remember the day that you really recognized the factory alcoholics? I was driving down the street, I can remember it like it was yesterday, and I phoned Dwayne. Dwayne! He said, what do you want? I'm working. I said, I'm an alcoholic. He said, what? I said, Dwayne, I am an alcoholic. He said, well, congratulations. Now it's unanimous. Everybody in the bloody world leaves your office. What the hell are you talking about? I said, Dwayne, you don't understand if I drink I die it's like the day I phoned him and I said I can't do step three and he said why not and I said because if I turn my life and my will over to the care of God he'll send me out as a missionary and I'll have to go to Africa Dwayne said what the hell would they do with an idiot like you in Africa I never thought of that you know you see, I don't know if you have a sponsor. Some people don't. You know, say, I can't find the word sponsor in the big book. I couldn't find my sponsor in the big book either. But I had to have somebody translate the truth for me for a period of time at the level of my understanding in my mother tongue's profanity until such a time as I could hear. Because I totally agree with what Chuck Chamberlain taught. You see, when you see, and you hear when you hear, and not a minute before. And so that day I called Dwayne, I said, I'm an alcoholic. He said, I I need you to meet me. I wanna say some things to you face to face. First of all, what have you got in your pocket? I reached to my pocket and I pulled out a bag and it was full of aliens. And he said, Are you taking that crap? And I said, No, I'm not, but I'm afraid I'm gonna go insane. So I just keep it with me in case I go. He said, "Do you think you'll be crazy in an hour?" I said, "I don't know." He said, "Well, what about dinner time? Do you think you'll be insane by dinner time?" I said, "Dwayne, I don't know. Why do you think I'm carrying the valium?" "Do you think you'll be insane by midnight tonight?" I said, "I don't know." He said, "Then don't worry about it. We only live one day at a time. Throw the damn valium away." It makes sense to me. So I haven't been going crazy until midnight tonight for over 20 years. I haven't had any Merry Wonderful or any mind altering chemicals. It hasn't been necessary. This stupid stuff you guys taught me on the stairs with the two hookers has worked. <laughs> Ever since I got here, it has not been necessary for me to take a mind altering drug or chemical. I walk among you a free man. I'm not afraid of being alcoholic. I can hardly stop thanking God for the opportunity. My mother said to me you keep drinking like you're drinking and you aren't going to believe the places you wake up. And that's true. It was Cincinnati this morning. (laughs) She said, you won't believe the people you'll associate with. And that's true. I was with Liz all afternoon. What she didn't tell me was that it would be more wonderful than I ever dreamed. I can just see someone in the justice committee in heaven saying to God, I think we've got a small problem here. You're giving the drunks heaven on earth and the people that are really trying seem to have nothing but pain. And God says, there's no mistake. Some of the kids learn how to open the package and the rest don't. People say, why am I so special to be sober? I say, no, no. You're special because you went and got your gift. That's all. Some of us go and get the gift. Some of us get in behind the screen door, and just for a period of time, you wedge that open, and a whole flood of truth comes in. I always know when I'm hearing the truth, it makes me laugh at a very deep level. you Remember your first laugh after you got sober?
1: <laughs> 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 you <know>. Oh, God! <laughs>
0: if you're like me, I hadn't laughed except in that French-Canadian... <laughs> <laughs> you know, and only when you're helping somebody at the table that's not there <laughs> You know, I was a guy that came to Alcoholics Anonymous sat at the Sunday morning meeting the wind was blowing on everybody I'm looking, there's no wind blowing on me I'm thinking, there it is, that's the spirit of God and I'm not getting any
1: <laughs>
0: you know how self-centered you have to be to be alcoholic it's not easy, it tires me out sometimes they used to make me sit in the chair and read page 62 every night at 7 o'clock. Selfishness and self-centeredness we think is the root of our problem. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-centeredness. We step on the toes of fellows and they retell There, I've done it another night.
1: <laughs>
0: Happy, joyous, and free. I came to Alcoholics with no concept of God except a punishing God who was just keeping score until such a time as he scorched you. <laughs> funny to you. You should have lived it. It was hell, I'm telling you. I'm, uh, nine months sober, and I get spiritual. I <laughs> spiritual. I could heal a hole in a record just picking it up. I'm talking about spiritual. And I left you in Alcoholics Anonymous and quit going to meetings because I thought the church was a better place for me where I could sit with the other saints
1: <laughs>
0: and mentally undress the girls in the choir.
1: The sick new saint.
0: Some <laughs> of you are so serious. I'm sitting outside the... the uh, sanctuary one day, and the pastor, a very wise man, came out and he said, tell me something, Marty, when you're in church, and I'm up at the front preaching, who's the audience? Then I said, well, that's a ridiculous question. Of course, we're the audience. And he said, no, we're not the audience. He said, God is the audience part. We're all there. I'm saying some words up to God. And you see, you're you always confused with going, you got your eyes on the people. You're going to get hurt. You need to go back to your alcoholics. You need to go back to your own people. Pretty wise guy." So I get back to Alcoholics Anonymous and I walk in the room and I walk past an old-timer and he says, There, but for the grace of God goes God. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> you
0: know, <laughs> may God strike you drunk, you old bugger. You know, don't you love those old-timers, those crusty old parts? You're going to get drunk. Until <laughs> you're <really> tired out. <laughs> My my sponsor had a dog had been an AA forever. This its name was Tinker, and we used to go over to the house, and this dog you and you hear this dog go. Roo! Roo!
1: Those
0: are the things. When you think back, it's so much fun, if you're not having more fun sober than you are, when you were drunk, you're going to get drunk again. You, you know, it's like Chuck Chamberlain talked about getting a new pair of glasses and about, you know, if you, you took that whole book and said, "Say it in a sentence," the sentence would be, "Look for good, not bad. Look for the good in every single situation. I always had it opposite. I was always looking for the big hurt, looking for the problem, living in the problem. There's a dung beetle in Australia that rolls crap, manure, until the ball gets so big that the beetle cannot roll it any farther. Then it drills a hole in the center of that dung and it lives in it. Yeah. Think about it. Do you ever wake up in the morning with a really shitty outlook? You know, you're kind of like... Why, this stinks. I mean, everything stinks. Yeah. When I got back to Alcoholics Anonymous, I had some stuff to do. Let me tell you a magic discovery I made. This is the most magic thing I know. Applying your will to want to stay sober won't do it. You can will sobriety all you want. It will not do it because on Wednesday your will is to stay sober. By Friday you're saying my will is to not stay sober and who's going to stop me? So you bounce around in the middle of these two parts of your will like a stupid little teddy bear, incapable of stopping The magic of the program is applying your will to do the things that will make you sober. And there's a million miles from here there. Willing To have a home group. Willing to go to meetings. Willing to talk to newcomers. Willing to pour coffee. Applying your will in those areas so that there is no back door. No matter what comes through the screen door that tells you otherwise, you do those things and I'll guarantee you you will get sober. And you will maintain a sobriety for as long as you are willing to do those things. And you see what happened to me after I'd had my spiritual... Moment, I got in the car with Dwayne, and he shared with me at the level of my understanding.
1: <laughs>
0: and he said, You know, it's not so bad that you, you know, didn't want to hang around with us anymore because we swore and we smoked and you were above us. Because you know, all that was, Marty, was just more of your greed, more of your needing to have more God than the rest of us, and that our, your God had to be better than our God. And you, and you one more time got selfish in your spirituality, if you can believe it. And I still didn't get it. And I went to Winnipeg and I chaired a meeting. You guys all know Tommy I. Wonderful speaker, right? Incredible speaker. I couldn't wait for him to shut up. I just wanted his talk over so I could go home. Like some of you want right now.
1: <laughs>
0: get it? I'm not done. I've got another two hours. Anyway. I will finish quickly. Tommy probably gave one of the best deliveries of his entire life. Everybody came to their feet. Everybody was hugging him and loving him. And I had what I could only describe was like an LSD experience. Now any of you fellow hippies from the 60s, you know, know, know what I'm talking, 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 talking. Yeah. I'm going to confine this to the part of the story that matters. But the fact of the matter is I went running like hell out of that meeting across the hotel in which my wife and children were staying and I communicated like many new people do in Alcoholics Anonymous to their spouse. She said, what is wrong? And I said, shut up. That's how we communicated when I first got there. And I would say to you, God, I love this program. God, I love you people. And then the door would close and I would say to her, shut up. Okay? I couldn't get it inside the house. Not like that now. I want... Clarify that that I somehow, somewhere along the line, rediscovered. This is nothing to sneeze at. Okay, this is a serious part of it I'm just ready to drive this message home, and then she. Oh, hell. I somehow rediscovered my wife around my 15th year of sobriety. I'm not saying that's entirely possible for everyone, or even desirable for some of you, but that is what happened. Luke, it's a tough group. I don't know. You want Peggy, they're killers. They're killers. The um, That night in that hotel room, I got down on my knees and I opened up the big book and it opened and it was almost like there was uh, a light or something on one part of text and I read it and it said, your sobriety is contingent. And I knew what that meant because I was in business. Contingent means it might happen and might not happen. Your your sobriety is contingent on the maintenance. In other words, keeping up of your spiritual condition. And I was at a loss because I thought, God, I've gone to the church. I've tried everything. You know how that goes. But it went quiet. Just quiet. The experience stopped. I went to the other room. I said to my wife, I'm so terribly sorry. I was so afraid. I couldn't think. I got into bed. It was morning. I went to a big book study. At my own home group, I didn't know my home group had big book studies. That's how arrogant I was. I sat at the back of the room. God mentioned to me, someone that talked to learn to shut up. Sat at the back of the room. They were reading about Bill sitting with Ebby and in the hospital. Do you remember Bill had just really completed a fifth step with Ebby? And and they had gone through all of this, and he'd done all of that, and then said, "Now, here's the most important thing of all. You must do this with others. It's the way that we gain spiritual altitude." Now, I'm paraphrasing, but the way you need to read that. I think it's about page 14. Um, you will gain your spirituality helping others. See, there's the mystery. You got to give it away to keep it. Everybody wants God, but nobody wants to do the work. Everybody wants peace and serenity, but nobody will, will give before they get. And in this business, it doesn't work like that. So if you're in the room tonight, seven years sober, and you've got the big lie, like I had, Alcoholics Anonymous works for newcomers, so it doesn't work when you're around here a while, and all you can ever hope to get is sober, let me share some real spiritual altitude with you. Bullshit. You can get everything here. Alcoholics Anonymous is everything that you're able to become if you will to do the right thing, will to do the best, will to lay yourself down for service. And this this is not only from my own experience. I've learned these things from watching you. I've learned these things from some of the leaders that we have in the program. It's a wonderful place to grow up. Very quickly on today, I have three children. I have a son, 22 years old, who's six months older, longer than I am that kind of catches some people. He's never drank. He never ever had the need to drink alcohol. <laughs> it's a great relief. Now you know I'm not lying, right? Um, I have another son, 20 years old. His name is Chad. Chad chose not to drink. I can't explain that to you. I don't know why they chose to drink. I can just tell you that in a, in a home where there is Alcoholics Anonymous, people coming in and out, either the, the new drunks scare the hell out of them or inspire them, I don't know what happened. But I do know that I never asked either one of them not to drink. They made that decision themselves. Perhaps they'll drink someday they have not to this day all through those teenage years what a blessing i have a teenage daughter (laughs) 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 oh whoa (laughs) you know what i'm talking about right (laughs) 16 years old she gets a 26 of vodka goes down the basement just gets absolutely juiced me crawling commode hugging (laughs) puking drunk (laughs) and she is just like me And when that thing ended, there was another another number of episodes. And because of you, because of you, her mother made her come in to me and say, Dad, I was drunk. And I said, Baby, if you've got this thing I've got, don't turn your back on us. It's serious. It's a serious thing. And we were able, because of you, and because of what was been given to us in Alcoholics Anonymous, we had the money and the, the, the mind and the ability to send this girl to a private school she went, took her ra- equestrian horse rider, took her horse to school with her. What an opportunity, because of you. She goes to school, gains like 60 pounds, shears her hair off, and turns into a skater.
1: <laughs> 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 but,
0: somehow it broke the peer pressure. I can't explain that to you. The drinking at that point either was in remission or had stopped. She she came last year and joined us and Red Deer, finished her grade 12. I watched that loony kid turn from a kid to an adolescent to a young woman in one year, right before my eye. I went home to supper one night, and she said, would it be possible for me to go to a meeting of alcoholics and alcoholics with you? And I took her to the meeting, and she watched them go up and down the stairs, and on the way home, she said, well... <laughs>
1: I have some friends that need that.
0: (laughs) I could stand here all night and try and tell you the depth of gratitude I have for you and it would be inadequate. But just let me tell you one quick story in closing. I guess the biggest fear I had in the whole world sober was losing my son Donovan. I got started to fixate sober on the fact that this kid had never drank he was the top of his class. He was a, the best father I ever had. He was just born at 50 years old. You know the type of person I'm talking just a great guy. And I started thinking, if ever a drunk driver crossed the road and killed somebody, it's going to be my Donovan. And the more I started thinking about that, the more focused I became on that. Until I was obsessing on that. And one day there was a telephone call and it said that Pete Waters was supposed to speak in a little town in Saskatchewan. He was ill. Could I cover for him? And I went to this meeting, and I heard a woman talk about losing a child. A tractor rolled over on this boy, and he died. And one year to the day that he died, his brother went downstairs and committed suicide. And the following day, his younger brother went downstairs to try and figure out how his older brother did it, and he accidentally hung himself. She lost three of them. And this happens to you in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was laid open. And I said, how do you ever even live after that? And she said, you don't. You have to die and come up again or you'd never make it. But she said, let me tell you what I learned down in the pit. Those kids were never my kids. They've always been God's kids and he'll take them home when he wants. You're driving a bus. They're on it. Learn what you can from them and enjoy them every minute. Thank you. Good night.